first episode of our investigation into Rudy Giuliani, part one, Mafia Myths, who begin in the New York of the 1980s. The streets were tough. It was tough to move around. You die on the streets, you get mugged on the streets a lot. It wasn't the kind of place you, as or anybody else, would want to go to late at night, for example. And the biggest problem with the crime scene was the mob. There was these very strong, entrenched Italian uh, and Sicilian families. Uh, they were known as La Cosa Nostra, and they caused havoc. Now, at the same time as they were causing havoc, there was a new influx of maybe not the, the nicest, upstanding legal people in the world that came from the Soviet Union. Basically, the Russian mob, the Ukrainian mob, was moving in on the Italian territory, and that created even more tension. Now, Rudy Giuliani was really a hero. He arrived uh, as the attorney at the at Southern District of New York and was able to eliminate at least three of the big bosses by sending them to jail for 100 years each. It was, it was in the commission trials, is what it was called. There were people who got away, and there's one person who died. Brain. Castellano's bodyguard. Gambino crime boss Big Paul Castellano was gunned down on his way to dinner at his favorite New York steakhouse. It was December 16, 1985. There hadn't been a mafia rub out in New York City in over a decade. Shot numerous times with automatic weapons. The five family La Cosa Nostra had already been reeling from an unprecedented crackdown led by the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, a young Rudy Giuliani, and his chief mob prosecutor, Michael Chertoff. The mission is to bring down the mob. With so much outside pressure on the five families, who would take out Big Paul Castellano? Oh, it went down with Gotti. I mean, it was, it was either him or Gotti at that point, and, and John made the move, and you know, in our life, um, there's no election process. You know, if you're going to take over, you're going to take over the hard way. You don't rival a boss and look for votes. These quotes that people have, hey, you don't rival a boss and look for votes. And it's true. This is how the mob has worked forever. Basically, the way you get to the top is you kill your way to the top. But in the 1980s, this was not the time for it necessarily. There was a big crackdown on the mob bosses, and they weren't really necessarily that vulnerable. Castellano wasn't really a bad guy. He was just a business guy. He wasn't really a killer per se. But uh, for some reason, Gotti felt like he had to get rid of him. Now, the official reason is that Gotti needed to get rid of Castellano because uh, he was going to get killed by Castellano. But as I just told you, Castellano was not much of a killer. So it's unlikely that was the reason. The more likely reason is that there was a turf war. As I mentioned earlier, you had these Russian immigrants who were also in organized crime. Not all of them, of course, some of them were arriving in Brighton Beach were arriving in on the Italian families in Brooklyn. And there was a natural turf war. Some of the people in the Italian mob, in the Cosa Nostra, were welcoming of the new Russian immigrants. And they said, we'll work with you guys because you're smart, you do good stuff, uh, your crimes are fantastic, uh, come on board. Others, like Paul Castellano, were really resistant of this new influx of criminality. And he became a bit of a problem, by all accounts. Castellano was the guy who was not letting the, the Russians in. And so it's interesting that John Gotti, while under indictment, I should say, decides to knock off Paul Castellano because maybe, just maybe, Giuliani, who's, I think, trying to make room for the Russians by eliminating the Italian mob, maybe said, hey, if you get rid of this guy, I will, I'll ignore the fact that you did that. And in fact, it took years for Gotti to get uh, thrown into jail. I think it was like six or seven years uh, for Gotti to get thrown into jail and he did not go for killing Castellano. So that's interesting. 
And you were saying, whoa, slow down. You're not saying Rudy was like operating this crazy mafia style cover story, was he? And, and I am saying a little bit of that because he in fact was having a bit of a cover story. Not many people know this, although it is certainly known, but Giuliani had a mafia history of his own. Wayne Barrett, who I swear has done the best work on Rudy Giuliani, in 2000 came out with this incredible book, Investigating Rudy. And in that book, unbelievable claims that turned out to be very true that Rudy's father, Rudy's uncle, Rudy's cousin were all involved in the mob, were all part of shakedowns, were all part of criminality, uh, were all being arrested by the, by the FBI. That's a lot of familial connections. Now, Rudy at the time just shrugged it off. He said, my father always used to, used to tell me to stay on the straight and narrow, to stay away from crime. And that's what I've done all my life because he's such a good man. That may indeed be true. And it may indeed be true that Rudy Giuliani was just that, the, the, the white knight on a horse who came in and wanted to, to get rid of all of his, of his former friends and family and throw them into jail. But there is also a possibility that there might have been another part of why he was doing what he was doing. And I think we see that in, in what he's been doing ever since. You can't ignore the news. You can't ignore how many Ukrainian and Russian friends Rudy Giuliani seems to have. And they're not the kind of, they're not, I'm not saying anything against the, the way they dress or anything, but it's, you could tell they're, they're mobsters or involved in some sort of organized criminality. Maybe I'm being stereotypical. Maybe, I don't know, but they certainly were involved in, in trying to cook a deal with Biden's, with Biden's son in that investigation, cook a deal with the prosecutors in the Ukraine. Maybe that's how that gets done in the Ukraine, but it's not how it gets done here. To keep that in mind, wind back 30 or 40 years, was Rudy Giuliani clearing out the Italians for the Russians? It's a possibility. I'm not going to say it's a definite thing, but it's certainly something worth considering. Now, who else had a dad involved with the mob? At the same time, in Brighton, in Brooklyn. It's not a very hard question. You guys already know the answer. Donald Trump and his father in particular was involved with the Gambino and the Genovese family uh, and did a pretty bang up job of laundering a lot of their money. He was also involved with the new Russian arrivals. And when Donald Trump got on his own two feet and decided to march into Manhattan to build gleaming skyscrapers, he did so with his father's help, of course. And who did that mean? That means you had to call in the Italian mom. Donald Trump had known Big Paul Castellano from childhood. Big Paul and Trump's father, Fred, were close in a mob kind of way. So when Donald planned to build the Trump Tower and the Trump Plaza, he turned to Castellano's cement company for help. Castellano's S&A Concrete was co-owned by another mob boss from the Genovese family, Fat Tony Salerno. Fat Tony and Trump also had a history. They shared a lawyer in the infamous Roy Cohn. According to Trump biographer David K. Johnson, Trump didn't just do business with mobbed-up concrete companies. He also probably met personally with Salerno at the townhouse of notorious New York fixer Roy Cohn. What Trump was doing was cornering the New York City construction market for the mob. As much as 75% of the pre-mixed cement market was mob-controlled in New York. Trump paid Big Paul Castellano and Fat Tony Salerno for their marked-up cement. And he paid kickbacks to the Teamsters Union, which was mob-controlled as well. Big Paul Castellano was hit by Gotti, and Fat Tony was arrested in 1986. He spent the rest of his life in jail. That's where he died in 1992. Trump 
testify to the grand jury, but somehow never faced charges for the kickbacks or his role in the extortion racket. According to biographer Wayne Barrett, it was Rudy Giuliani who arranged for Trump to escape charges. When Rudy ran for mayor in 1989, Trump was the campaign chair for the first fundraiser and donated $2 million to the campaign. Rudy and Trump have been close ever since, even managing this public rope at the Inner Circle Roast in New York. You know, you're really beautiful. And a woman that looks like that has to have her own special scent. Oh, thank you. Maybe, maybe you could tell me what you think of this scent. Hmm, I like that. This, this may be the best of all. Oh, you dirty boy, you. Oh, oh. Donald, I thought you were a gentleman. Hmm. You can't say I didn't try. Now, that's funny, right? It is funny until you realize that, of course, you're talking about uh, the mayor of New York City and the guy who, by last count, maybe has had 43 women claim that he assaulted them and same guy who did uh, grab him by the pussies. This is how much power one guy who was involved with the mob, ostensibly in this extortion racket that kept the cement prices so high that people, ordinary consumers going out into the marketplace, trying to buy apartments in New York City, were, were paying an enormous amount of money just to the mob, just to get their buildings completed. So that's one guy there. And then there's the mayor, on the other hand, who let him off for that crime. And they're having a good time at the inner city roast, which if you've ever been to one, is actually a very funny thing. It's every year the media roasts the mayor in a, a pretty, it's, it's no holds barred. When I was there with de Blasio, boy, did they go after him. And it was, it's a great night, a terrific night. The mayor's always great. And it's just a, a fun time. And this is good that Rudy did that because it shows that he laughs at himself. But on the other hand, it does give you an indication how close these two were all the way through, you know, the, the original extortion thing happened in the 80s, late 80s. This is like late 90s and uh, they're still buddies there. There were buddies throughout the entire career of Rudy Giuliani as the mayor of New York City was really propelled by Donald Trump. And, and we know what he got in return. He didn't get any, any, any indictments. And because he didn't get any indictments, by the way, he was able to start those casinos in Atlantic City with pretty much no hassle. Interesting stuff, right? Let's catch you up. I told you that Rudy Giuliani has helped, helped take down the La Cosa Nostra in, in the 1980s in New York City. I have also told you that... He used this thing called selective enforcement. Basically, you have cooperation deals. And it basically means that as the attorney, you get to decide who gets prosecuted and who doesn't get prosecuted. You get to pick who's a criminal and who isn't a criminal. This strikes me as one of those things that just needs to change. We can't have uh, people who are, can be so easily influenced deciding on who gets to face the courts and who gets to face the laws. And then finally, this is the thing that's really interesting. By doing all of this, by bringing down La Cosa Nostra, by picking who gets to be indicted, he was able to clear the path for a new organized criminality supported by money and political interests from the ex-USSR and the Eastern Bloc. Now, one way to know that's true is because you know that Donald Trump and, uh, and Rudy Giuliani are pretty mobbed up from the Eastern Bloc, from Ukraine, from Russia, through various people that we've for the last three years, every, every citizen journalist that has been doing this on Twitter has been sharing this information. But there's actually been a, a sort of a, a symmetry, I should say, between what uh, Donald and Rudy have been doing. Because on the one hand, Rudy has had um, clients, he, he calls them clients, I guess they are that, from Russia and the Eastern Bloc. 
from everywhere from Serbia to Ukraine and all these you know, sh- shady and dodgy characters. At the same time, Trump has been using his Trump Towers to launder Russian money from same kind of shady characters in the Eastern Bloc. Rudy has been using selective enforcement and obstruction of justice to cover up crimes. And Trump has been escaping prosecution by cooperating with people like Giuliani or Cyrus Vance and calling in favors and also covering up crimes. They both kept really close contact with the the FBI agents associations, which is the union, basically, of the FBI. And when you look at what happened in 2016 with the October surprise, it's no surprise that it was the people involved in Giuliani's companies that he, after he left service and who were also in the FBI um, agents association were part of setting up that October surprise, which is when Comey said that Clinton was still under investigation. And the other big thing, which is just true about both of them, they both are very politically ambitious people. Both of them have run for political office and platforms that represent foreign and criminal interests. And we've seen it all the way until today. There's no doubt in my mind that these two are two peas in a mob pod, if you like, uh, and they've been doing it most for most of their lives. Now, that doesn't mean they're, they, they don't have legitimacy in what they're trying to do. They may have got it illegally. One has to believe that there is something in their worldview that uh, is driving them beyond money. Or maybe you don't. Maybe you don't have to believe that. Maybe they are just driven by money and, men, and money and power and, uh, and the influence that the mob gets, which is where you see the reckless way that they've been working with the, the Kurds and what they've done with the Kurds in the last few days. It just feels as heartless and as, as, as dramatic as a mob hit would feel like. It's just cruel, uncaring, and unthoughtful in what they're doing. And uh, it reminds me that, that we started off the story by talking about Italians and immigrants from the Soviet Union. These guys are still caught up in that world of tribalism, and they don't really like the Kurds. So for them, it's okay to get rid of the Kurds, which, of course, nothing could be further from the truth because the Kurds are amongst the oldest civilizations or tribes on the planet and uh, have been a pretty big asset to the United States. I've digressed a little bit here. Don't ask me why. I've just had to do that. That is the show for this week. There is so much more. I'm going to stop tonight here, but hopefully you understand the message that I'm trying to say is that Rudy's a bumped up kind of guy, even though he did some supposedly good things. And so is Donald. And when they are together, they're doing a whole lot of mobbing up. Tomorrow, we're going to take you into two very interesting areas. We're going to look at the Ukrainian deal that Giuliani and Trump were able to set up. It is stunning what we found out there. And we're also going to take you into Rudy actually has a real job. He has a real job for the White House. He's the cybersecurity advisor. And you might think that that just went away. No, but he actually has been working on that, bringing Russia and the United States together on cybersecurity. And you won't believe, you won't believe where this has led us. All that is coming up as we continue Narrative Live's exploration of this something about Rudy. And don't forget to check out the podcast. The podcast is now on and you can find it anywhere you get your podcast. So please check it out, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. And also, if you join patreon.com forward slash narrative, you'll get all these cool updates there all the time. All right, folks, thanks very much for watching and have a very good weekend. I really appreciate you spending time with me tonight.